Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle of people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I did say weekly. Don't question me. And I am delighted to be here. I also do marvelous things at a place called Freethink. I'm so thrilled and excited to be here. Joined by compatriots, Matt Welch, editor-at-large, Reason Magazine is in the building. Michael Moynihan of Vice News also in thrilled? the building. It is great. Thrilled. Great to see you, gentlemen. On this glorious yeah. day, I don't know if today is the day, but today is the day I discovered that Kanye West's Donda, the deluxe version of that album, was finally released, which contained the Andre 3000 featuring track, Life of the Party finally released we have it's, a version of that and why were we holding on marvelous yes marvelous yes. well the, this is the just reason... like the release of peter jackson's movie, right <laughs> it's actually been waiting for years for this right? <laughs> this was important well months a couple of months the reason it didn't get released before matt welch is because there was some creative tension andre mm-hmm. recorded a verse for this track for kanye in which he swore many times, he talked about fornicating with a girl in church oh, and some other stuff. And Kanye not... is a very devout Christian who no yes. longer yes. swears in his music. And to the extent other people are swearing when they're featured, he he, he censors it. But Andre was like, no, nah, man, wow. you censor my shit. Don't censor it. Is that right? So, He's the striper of rap. Yeah. So, so they've, 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 Bibles out there, <laughs> they've <laughs> arrived. a certain age of people who understand what I just said. Yeah. It's, it's actually <laughs> remarkable. You watch Kanye's, <laughs> you watch Kanye's like live performances in the stadiums. These are religious experiences that people are having with this man of God. And some of these tracks, I mean, are just straight up gospel tunes. There is no getting around it. it and, and I think that the Andre 3000 verse is the standout verse on this album. Maybe the verse of the year. It is, Absolutely remarkable. You should go find it. But 504 um has, or 5EO, 5E, whatever you want to call them. Um, he also has a great, great verse that just is never ending on off the grid. So this is your hip hop moment. You do understand, moment, Camille, that the literally there's, there's four people on this. Uh, that is not true. Uh, little thing. Nobody has any idea what you're talking no, about. That's not true. No, 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 is not true. Kanye West, no. Kanye West at age, what, 45, 46, the, the man is the culture. People who yeah, come to the fifth that, column. That, People who come to the fifth column know who Kanye is. They know what Kanye is about. And they know, and they yeah, know. These are a little deep cuts, cuts, though. It's good. <laughs> no, at any rate, I'm happy to is. talk about that. I, that's not all we're going to talk about today, though. But I just wanted to give you a little something because I'm excited about it. I was just listening to it. What do you think Kanye thinks about Kyle, Kyle Rittenhouse? Does he have a, <laughs> is he, is he said anything about this? <laughs> I haven't heard that. I, I do know yeah. that he's recently reconciled with Drake. So I could talk to you about that. But oh. I, don't, I don't know. Has he given well. up the MAGA thing? No, actually, he said he still got his red hat. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. And Which I would I, point I out that more than more than meaning he supports Trump probably just means that he does what he wants to do. I can't say that there's any sort of coherent politics there, except I don't, he don't so. like Democrats. Hey, Camille, <laughs> can I ask you a, a, a short series of questions? Are you wearing a hat? I am. What color is it? It's red. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's it. That's it. That's all, you got, that's all I got to say. So yeah. it's Kanye West is my spirit animal. <laughs> take, do with that what you want. Yeah, it is a red hat that is also the name of a Clash song, by the way. You can probably figure out what that is. Um, you know. Gosh, I wish I knew uh, some so, Clash songs. I'm sure there's a good joke. Yeah, you don't. There's that. a song called Washington, Washington Bullets, about, which oh. is like a, a hilarious song about, uh, it's like a Noam Chomsky song about uh, America's intervention 
in Latin America and other places and uh, yeah. people being killed by the Washington bullets. And the first time I heard it, I was like, man, those basketball players are just homicidal. Aren't they? <laughs> Mitch Kupchak yeah, and, and I, Wes Unsell yeah. running amok. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have Damn to wonder why yeah, Mr. 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 believe that yeah. our athletes are also murderers. And no, I just, yeah, racism. I'm just not very it's smart. But, uh, at yeah. the time I wasn't a Chomsky. You know, I've, yeah. I've, I've since become one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like should we, we should introduce our guest because we, we won't have him long. I don't we, know. He doesn't want to be here. We need him. Jonathan Adler is joining us today. Um, first timer. First timer. Law professor at Case Western Reserve University. He actually has an endowed chair and yeah. it's named for someone. And I believe he's yeah. like the guy, like the inaugural person to yeah. hold this Johann chair. Sebastian it, Bach. It's the Eric uh, Honecker chair <laughs> <yeah>. of legal <laughs> studies. Yeah. Something, I think that was it. It was something German, right? Jonathan, I'm so delighted you could join us tonight to help disentangle the various um, legal news things that are happening in the world to give us some perspective on them. I've been a longtime fan of yours, read your stuff over at Reason, where you contribute pretty regularly. The Volta Conspiracy, hosted at Reason, yes. This is true. This is true. You're really yeah. trying to disassociate yourself from oh, that. I'm just trying to be accurate, man, you know. Yeah, it's, it's the editor at large. It's fine. Yeah. But thank you so much, Jonathan, for joining us. Good to be here. Um, thank you for inviting me. Yes. I want to point out before anyone talks more that literally the 60 seconds before we hit the record button, mm-hmm. Jonathan was wondering or sort of lamenting, in yeah, fact. That he couldn't have his evening drink. They couldn't have his little, <laughs> little yeah. brown liquid. You're <laughs> suggesting he has a problem, him, Matt Welch. This, this, is, this is the type of podcast that appreciates yes. um, the, 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 the liquor, and we all held up our various things. He ran oh faster than I have run <laughs> yes. in like 25 As years. As I said, he ran faster like than... Kyle Rittenhouse. He was <laughs> yes. sprinting away from there. The Carl Lewis of Case Western. Wes Unsell never ran that fast. Not once. And his wow. wife is in the other room. It's like, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? He runs in and she's like, what are you doing? And he grabs the drink. It's just a disaster. But thank you for joining us, Jonathan. He brought the whole bottle. The whole though. bottle. He the did. whole bottle. That's right. Bottle. Yeah. Huge drinking problem. Yep. You better finish it by the end. Just in case. Just in case. <laughs> the man's got to be prepared. Got to be prepared. <laughs> we, we do have lots to talk about today. Um, there's there's uh, the QAnon shaman uh, was sentenced today. A pretty weighty sentence, if I if I understand correctly, although you can help 41 months. In, yeah. In context, Jonathan. That's, it seems like a lot, but we'll talk about that. Uh, Steve Bannon uh, pled not guilty today to charges stemming from his refusal to appear before a congressional committee that is investigating the incident on January 6th. I don't know if we call it a, a, a fracas, uh, an insurrection, uh, a riot. Choose your own adventure. Yeah. How about that? Um, <laughs> and in addition to that, we talked about the Rittenhouse situation, but I suppose there are some other related things that we could talk about, but I'm eager to get your perspective on these occurrences, Jonathan, and, and maybe we start with the Bannon thing. Could you give us a, a brief overview of where things stand and exactly what Bannon has been charged with? Sure. So um, we have this committee that uh, the House set up to investigate uh, all that went on around January 6th, both what happened at the Capitol, but also what happened in the White House and apparently in the Willard Hotel and activities taken by the president and his al- the then president and his allies to uh, enabled Donald Trump to stay in office. And um, as part of that, they've subpoenaed a large number of people that were involved in planning, you know, con- contingency planning for how the president could um, 
stay in office, how the vice president could alter the electoral college vote, things like that. And um, uh, Steve Bannon was apparently involved in some of these meetings, and he's among those who was subpoenaed, and he has claimed executive privilege uh, and, uh, the, and as a basis for not cooperating at all. Uh, and just some, a little bit of background, what often happens when Congress demands testimony from somebody, um, there's often a bit of political posturing, but typically at some point there is some sort of negotiation about the terms under which someone will answer questions, whether it's at a hearing, whether it's in private, um, whether there's screening of the questions, whether it's written or not. Um, there's often some back and forth, uh, in part because legal fights over whether Congress can force someone to testify can drag on and on. Um, Bannon didn't want to do any of that. He just, you know, Congress issued a broad subpoena. Bannon just said no across the board. And um, when he refused to show up, uh, Congress voted him in contempt, um, to be in contempt of Congress, which is something Congress may do. Uh, in the old days, um, if Congress was really upset about someone not testifying and Congress held them in contempt. Uh, Congress would order the sergeant of arms uh, of the of that of Congress to go find the person and arrest them and throw them into the the Congress's little jail. Um, that hasn't been done in a long time. Um, not sure what it would look like if Congress tried to do that again. But that's that's the old fashioned way of doing it, and and that what Congress these, would do these days. Yeah. Yeah, these days, I think it would be it, it would it could go bad real quick. Um, so instead, what Congress does is it, these days it refers a, the contempt citation to the Justice Department. Well, usually when Congress is engaging in oversight and somebody is resisting, uh, Congress is investigating the executive branch, right? So the Democrats in Congress are investigating Donald Trump or the Republicans investigated Obama over uh, Fast and Furious and Benghazi and whatever. Um, and so when the contempt referral shows up at the Justice Department, the Justice Department looks at it and says, you want us to go after our own people? Didn't know, and they ignore it. Well, this is investigating the prior administration, so um, that the Justice Department isn't quite in the same position. And um, the Justice Department here, uh, and this has not happened in a long time, uh, has um, uh, indicted Steve Bannon for uh, contempt of Congress for refusing to testify. Um, Bannon is claiming that he is innocent because he has a good faith belief that he is not obligated to testify because of executive privilege. And um, it appears we will get a trial um, where this, these questions are sorted out. And we, you know, we haven't had a case like this in a while. And there's actually some legal dispute on what the proper a standard uh, in in this contempt prosecution should be whether or not Bannon's claim that he has a good faith belief that executive privilege applies is enough, or whether in fact um, uh, he actually has to actually be entitled to executive privilege, and that matters because most folks who've looked at this, I'm certainly of this view, think that his executive privilege claims are exceedingly weak. Right. I mean, he's not an, an actual employee of the executive branch. He was not an employee of the executive branch. Uh, he's not being asked about things that are core functions of the executive branch, not asked about things that relate to national security or about which, as an institutional matter, we sh we would be concerned about um, the confidentiality of advice given to the president. I mean, all the 
all the boxes you would check off in evaluating an executive privilege claim um, uh, go the wrong way for him. I'm mixing metaphors, but I mean, each one of those criteria, you, you would goes the wrong way, right? Not not someone who was who was working for the president or part of the executive branch, not related to national security or sensitive materials, not related to the discharge of official duties, um, not supported by the current president, um, because it's it's the executive privilege is the privilege of the office, um, not of the person. Um, so. While former presidents are allowed to raise concerns about exec- executive privilege, they don't get a lot. They don't carry a lot of weight if the current president doesn't support them. So, on the merits of executive privilege, he almost certainly loses. As a, a in terms of the prosecution, there will be this question of whether or not um, him his his claiming that he has a good faith belief he doesn't have to testify um, uh, is enough to avoid prosecution and. You know, we presumably are going to get trial on that. You used the phrase a while a couple of times there. I don't know if you're just trying to be gentle to the ears of listeners or whether you just are bluffing and you don't know how long it's been. <laughs> but do you have a sense of how often uh, what what is the what is the recent past look like in terms of contempt citations being sent, contempt of Congress citations being sent uh, to people? A quick inter- interjection. I want to hear Jonathan's response to this, but you know, I think that what Steve Ben is planning on here, and I, you know, whatever his defense is, is going to be spurious and very Bannonite. But if you look back to the most famous of those cases, is of course the Hollywood Ten, and if you're Edward Dimitrik or if you're Dalton Trumbo or Albert Maltz and these people who were all cited for contempt of Congress and went to jail for it, they were not mm-hmm. sent to jail for being members of the Communist Party. They refused to testify about their own political beliefs. And, you know, um, what's his name? Uh, Parnell, who was running the committee, uh, said, no, well, the Constitution does not allow you to cloak your beliefs if you're trying to overthrow the system and therefore you're going to jail. And those people, um, you know, today to this day are considered heroes. I mean, they were they were right on the merits of that one. They were Stalinists and they were wrong in their politics. But I think that that's what Bannon's idea is. And that's the one that actually shines to me. But Jonathan, to Matt's point, I'm sorry to interrupt that, but is there like recent uh, versions of this? And, and, and along the way, hopefully someone can clarify what the House Committee on American on un-American activities was all about. I presume, a certain, I presume a certain knowledge of our listeners. I know, <laughs> I know. In typical We the Fifth fashion, Michael Moynihan just Go Google it. <laughs> yes, John. So if you, the, the recent history is Democrats holding oversight hearings of Trump administration, Trump administration not cooperating and being cited in contempt before that, Republicans doing that to the Obama administration. Uh, I believe there were some in the Bush administration as well, and there were certainly some in the Clinton administration. The history has been voting contempt motions out of Congress, but the Justice Department not acting on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been the history for the last several presidential administrations. And again, most of the focus has been on oversight of you know, Congress investigating the, the presidency when it's held by the other party. Um, it's been some time, uh, and, and, and I, I forget if, it's more, if there's anything more recent than HUAC, where this was used against private citizens that were not, you know, not, not as part of some 
partisan squabble. Um, uh, the recent history mm -hmm. is this primarily being a partisan squabble, like Lois Lerner, you know, in the IRS scandal and people like that, That's you know, right. yeah. not telling Congress what they want or not giving Congress documents that they want. Um, I remember the Fast and Furious scandal. There was a lot of this. And of course, what's interesting, not interesting, what's sadly typical, right, is that Republicans are complaining about this contempt citation now, but yet when the shoe was on the other foot, Republicans were com were happy to vote in favor of contempt citations and com would complain that the Justice Department didn't prosecute. Um, uh, you know, mm -hmm. we, we've we've entered an era of of our politics where members of Congress forget that they have institutional interests in Congress being able to investigate and think purely of the partisan valence of any given investigation. Yeah, I'm assuming also part of what's in Bannon's mind is if he can tie the legal proceedings up long enough, then it goes away. Because if the Republicans take over the House in the midterm elections, well, then, yeah. you know, it all goes away. And Jonathan, is the risk to what you're saying here uh, pretty, it seems like you're saying is that it's pretty thin that people go to jail for this. I mean, people tend not to go to jail for this. Tend and not so, to. I mean, I mean, the old days, in the old days, yeah. when Congress would use its, what we what is called its inherent contempt power, and again, which Congress has not used in decades, Congress That's would really just leave. It's a super good name. It's, it's, it, I mean, I it, have an inherent contempt power for Congress. Right. Go on. I mean, so like if you think about like like a judge holding someone in contempt in court of court, like you see in the movies sometimes, the judge can send the person to jail and then bring them back and you know, have you reconsidered and they say no and you send them back to jail. Congress could do something like that under its own inherent contempt power, but um I think the concern now is that Congress is worried about what if someone resists, you know. Congress sends its sergeant of arms to the, exe someone, the executive branch and what happens when the Secret Service doesn't let the sergeant of arms in. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a scenario we don't really want to think about. And so Congress has not tried that. That's so is inevitable. I mean, like, like in, in, in a polarized time when, when people are viewing government increasingly, I believe, in both major parties as a tool to punish your enemies yeah. uh -huh. and just by any means necessary yeah. – this seems kind of inevitable. Um, I was hoping you you can maybe walk us through as tersely as possible. We we have in a in like a societal sense of that there's this thing called the Fifth Amendment right. that you know if we don't want to talk we don't have to. Right. Um, it turns out that's not true. Um, <laughs> um, most uh, I think poignantly in grand jury cases, right when the grand jury wants. Moynihan to testify about his role in the Balco steroids case, Huge um, and he doesn't want to. He's going to go to jail no. uh, if he's close enough to Barry Bonds. Um, does Congress have like a, a grand jury-like sort of exception to the Fifth Amendment protection against people um, having to testify when they don't want to? So two things. One, um, typically, if someone's if you're going to claim the Fifth Amendment, you have in, in the case of a congressional. Uh, hearing or congressional inquiry, it would be specific to particular questions or lines of questions. It wouldn't just be, you can't ask me anything. Um, Congress is not um, engaging in a criminal investigation, um, but um, it's generally recognized that Congress can't force you to say something in before Congress that could then be used to prosecute you. So what Congress typically has done, and, and the most famous example of this that I, or the one that I tend to think of is with uh, Oliver North, 
um, mm-hmm. which is where Congress says, okay, well, we really need this information because we're investigating mm-hmm. some scandal. So we will grant you immunity for what you say. And so nothing you say you know, at our hearing can be used as part of a prosecution. And it turns out some of the, the attempted prosecutions of uh, some of the folks involved with Iran Iran Contra at the, their prosecutions end up getting voided because uh, of of apparent use of information or, or things that were said in the hearings. So um, that's what Congress can do. I mean, and and again, as I mentioned before, typically, um, if you have someone that is willing to cooperate but just doesn't want to get themselves in trouble, they'll come in privately. Their lawyer will come in privately. They'll sit down with Congress and they'll negotiate. They'll say. You know, a uh, good example, this was you know, what Don McGahn did when Don McGahn um, uh, testified on um, some of the the Russia election stuff. Uh, right. There are certain lines of questioning he agreed to answer questions about. And. And and you didn't have to answer questions about things that were arguably privileged. Similarly, you can do something like that related to things that might be self-incriminating. But uh, in Bannon's case, it's, you know, it's a flat refusal to say anything at all. I wanted to try to do a little bit of level setting here because part of the reason why I really wanted to talk about this today was because I saw a tweet from Thad uh, Russell, who's a friend of the podcast, and Thad described the current state of affairs thusly. Surveillance, public shaming, deplatforming, blacklist, segregation, infiltration, informants, agent provocateurs, political prisoners, and show trials. What they're doing to MAGA is what they did to the Communist Party and the Black Panthers. Oh, dear. Now, characteristic <laughs> Thad Russell Flair. But it does seem to me, and I, when we spoke a little bit earlier, Jonathan, I, I revealed my concern about this. In November of last year, just before the election, cities across America were being boarded up. If, in fact, there had been incidents of political violence, which were perpetrated by the left because they were upset that Donald Trump had won. And we were looking at a situation today where a lot of people who had a different sort of politics, let's say close to 700, were facing federal charges and prosecution um, and where prominent Democrats were being brought into Congress to testify about various things. I think people would have a different level of concern. And when I look at a lot of the reportage around like the Steve Bannon situation, around the QAnon shaman, who is a guy who so far as I know, didn't commit any sort of violent crime, didn't assault anyone, didn't have a weapon beyond a pole with a flag on it, and whose principal crime appears to be some sort of trespassing and being particularly prominent because he's wearing horns and he's shirtless. At a minimum, it seems appropriate to be thoughtful about the precedent that's being set here, but also about what sort of limitations there ought to be on the way that something like this is prosecuted. And what I see for the most part is just an appetite for prosecution. I've seen prominent legal scholars say things like, why hasn't the Justice Department charged Bannon yet? They were upset that the Justice Department wasn't just throwing him into court right away. And while it may not turn into a situation where he ends up going to prison, there are people in prison today. There are a lot of Americans who are concerned that these are politically motivated prosecutions. And at a minimum, if we're talking about faith in the institutions, all of that matters. And it feels like we're crossing a Rubicon, but we're not really talking about it. So tell me what, what, what about that you think may be sort of over-concern and, and where there is some appropriate concern? Yeah, so um, 
I like the framing of thinking about how MAGA is being treated and how communists were treated. Um, and I like it for on, on multiple levels, right? Because, you know, I, I am one of those folks that will remind people that the Communist Party of the United States was a um, Soviet uh, instrument. Uh, it was an instrument of Soviet policy. It was controlled and directed by a hostile foreign power. It also happened to attract lots of adherents and followers and fellow travelers who were, you know, kind of blissfully ignorant of what the CPUSA's actual purpose and guiding guiding mission was. And um, we spent too little time identifying which people uh, were actually doing things that were dangerous and a lot of time stigmatizing people who were in one way or another loosely affiliated with the broader movement. And I think that's a real risk, right? And I tend to think that, you know, one of the, the, one of the consequences of having a free liberal society is tolerating people who don't embrace the premises of that free liberal society. And that um, we should have been more tolerant of communists than we were in the 1950s, not because they were good people, um, but because being a, a, you know, a free liberal society demands that of us. Um, and I think with MAGA, it's the same thing, right? There are a lot of well-intentioned, but misgu- in my view, misguided um, people who are followers of uh, of the movement, embraced by the movement, or, or embrace the movement, uh, swept up in the movement. Uh, and there are some people that are, I think, more malicious figures. And the challenge is identifying, um, containing, perhaps in some cases, prosecuting the truly malicious figures who did serious, uh, seriously wrong things, um, and not sweeping into that people who, um, uh, you know, found themselves affiliated with the wrong tribe, but really didn't engage themselves in um, a harmful conduct or, or the sort of conduct that we truly find blameworthy. Um, I'm not convinced we've struck that balance. Um, I don't think government is very good at striking that balance. Um when I look at the January 6th prosecutions thus far, um, I'm not overly concerned about those prosecutions just because for a bunch of special, re- kind of like unique serendipitous factors, um, we're not just sweeping people up and, you know, and, 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 and throwing them in jail. We're identifying people after the fact because we have them celebrating what they did and we have them on video and we have the cell phone tracking information. And we have, I mean, so there's just, because their misconduct occurred in the nation's capital and they recorded it and celebrated it, we happen to have the goods on people there in a way that we typically don't when you say have a march or a protest and some small cadre of people in that group start a riot or start vandalizing whatever else and the police respond as they often do by rounding up lots of people because somewhere in the midst of this crowd of 200 or or 20 troublemakers right we just because of the unique nature of january 6th that's just not we don't have that problem there but it is a it is a problem and something we should be worried about i'm just i'm just not convinced we've quite reached that point yet although and this last point is there are some things the Justice Department and the January 6th committee are both doing 
which suggests they are setting the, setting the stage for more aggressive or ambitious moves, which do worry me, right? So they're they're collecting social media information um, from people that that um, take pleas about January sixth, and it's not clear they're limiting their use of that information to finding people that actually mm-hmm. committed crimes. There is a question about are they using that information to monitor and keep tabs on other people who, again, just affili- you know, wrongly affiliated themselves with the wrong tribe. Um, some of the information requests that the January 6th committee has made to um, various uh, you know, phone companies and, and social media companies and so on, ostensibly to understand the networks of you know, various um, Trump-aligned or, or Trump-sympathetic groups similarly raises to me a lot of red flags because it seems like you're collecting a lot of information about a lot of private people who weren't breaking stuff, stealing stuff, assaulting cops in the Capitol, but rather, you know, we're on a Facebook group that happened to have been frequented by somebody who might have done those other things. And and I that that makes me nervous. John, let's talk a little bit about the shaman here who doesn't seem to be to have been a leader of this in any way. He just seems to be the sort of guy who was dressed the silliest and the one that we can mm-hmm. all identify with. Now, and obviously he's in the kind of inner sanctum and he's one of the guys in there very quickly. But there's a lot of people in there at that time. So it struck me that this prosecution, you know, and when this happened, I think the day after we were, or the day of, I think we recorded a podcast. And I, I think the first thing I said was put them all in jail. But here's my concern about this now. He gets 40-odd, how many, 41 months, I think, two years of supervisory. Yeah, supervisory probation. And and he's convicted on an obstruction charge, uh, and that is an obstruction with, you know, the certification of an election, essentially. And the maximum, according to a few news reports I, I read, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, Jonathan, with the maximum penalty was 20 years, right? So... The thing that I'm wondering, though, is that every single person who walks into that building Mm -hmm. is there with that instinct, right? We think our president won. Now, they're all delusional. They, Many of these people, including the QAnon shaman, appear to have some sort of mental illness. I mean, I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean, he's clearly, there's something off with him, right? I think his mother has said that. And, you know, the judge said, like, look, you you seem to be showing genuine remorse because I'm not even sure he really understood. It was kind of, he was like an actor in this kind of weird play. And so if if he's getting 40-odd months, isn't could it also be that every single person who went inside that building could also get 40 months in prison at which it seems a bit like overkill to me mm-hmm. because i don't think and and, and then the the follow up question is that is it is it required in any way that there has to be some kind of realistic uh, sense that you could overthrow the government or overthrow this election when it was never going to happen. I mean, it's it's clearly not going to happen. There's going to be people in this case that are going to get shot, this um, um, Ashley Bobbitt woman, and some other people that are going to get beat up and cops are going to beat up. And it's just an ugly, bad situation all around. And people should go to jail for this, of course, uh, particularly if they're insulting people. That's the stuff that's like top, top priority for me. But, you know, it doesn't seem like this is actually, you know, real in any sense of like if five people walk in up to the White House and we say, we're going to take over power here. And they say, no, you're not. We're going to arrest you right now. You're not coming in here. Do you put them in jail for 20 years? I mean, how realistic does the goal have to be to get this to be prosecuted in the way that it is? Well, there's a lot there. So um, I mean, I think here's the way to think, think about what we've seen so far. 
Um, mostly we've seen people take pleas. Um, but I think all of, if not all, almost all of those that have been convicted this far have accepted plea deals. Um, that's not unusual. That's most people that go to jail, go to jail as a result of plea bargains, not as the result of trials. We trials are relatively rare. Um, uh, most of the people to date prior to the QAnon shaman, um, uh, pled to misdemeanors. Most of them had only been charged with misdemeanors. Um, uh, and, um, you know, some folks have gotten small bits of jail time. Some people, a lot of, a lot of folks have gotten none. Um, most of the big felony charges thus far have not been processed. Um, it, you know, there's a decent chance that some of those will go to trial. Um, he took a plea. He was charged with multiple felony counts. He um, pled to one felony count. Um, it was the obstruction of a proceeding. But note that what you agree to plea to doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have to have any relation to what you did or what you what the government could have most easily yeah. proved, right? The government files yeah. multiple charges. Those charges have a range of, of of sentences, and that's a lot of leverage to put on somebody, especially someone who might not have the resources to defend themselves very effectively, uh, as, you know, as well as, you know, someone who's on tape and whatever else. Um, and you have negotiation. And so the charge that he pled to is really the charge that put him in a sentencing range that he was willing to accept and the government was willing to accept the government wanted slightly more jail time than the judge gave him, but not much. Um, um, people rarely, I mean, it's con- news reporting of stuff all the time. So oh, this was, person was charged with this, which is a maximum jail time of, uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly, mm-hmm, right. Yeah. Um, the government asked for 15, 51 months. He got 41. Now my understanding of why the government went more aggressively after him um, I think relates to some of the other things he did, um, you know, prior comments he'd made prior to January 6th, urging violence and aver- urging challenging the election, uh, comments he made, I think, the day after, uh, January 7th, that showed a lack of repentance. Um, and the government claimed that he was one of the first people in the building. He was one of the first people in the chamber um, and claims that he um, – you know, instigated a lot of things, right? There's this dynamic sometimes with crowds where, you know, the first person to throw something or the first person to break a window is more culpable because once other people see that happening, then inhibitions drop and more people are willing to engage in that kind of behavior. Um, I suspect, I'm not defending this, I'm just saying Mm. this is the way the system works. I suspect the fact that we all know who he is and we've all seen his picture certainly is a reason mm-hmm. to go after him a little more aggressively. Um, both so if he was wearing a button down in like a pair of a pair of khakis, this would not be 41 well, months. Actually, basically. he might stand out a little more if he right. had that on. His, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've seen the FBI has this <laughs> yeah. incredible database of yeah. people and yeah. images, and all of them look like just these schlubs with these yeah. hoodies and hats on. Yeah. Yeah. If he'd look like them, he'd probably be a little bit a little bit, a little bit safer, yeah. But you know, it, yeah. it 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 communicates to people that are upset about January sixth that oh look, you know, we that we've put the poster child of January sixth. We we got him to to plead to a, to a felony. Yeah. Um, it's you say to the people that might be inclined to engage in this sort of behavior in the future. Look, you know, we're we'll uh, we'll come after you and and we'll make we'll make an example of you. 
um, you know, that is a dynamic you see. Um, um, what do you think about that, the making examples of people? I mean, it strikes me as in some way, not in this particular case, but as slightly unfair if you're saying, well, you, a random person, is going to, for the same crime, going to serve a lot more time and get a lot more public opprobrium because you're a good symbol for us politically. Isn't that the ballast of the criminal justice reform movement, Michael Moynihan? Isn't that what they say all the time? Let's make an example of these people. I'm not people. involved in that, Camille. I just, I want, I want more people that's, to go to jail. That's, that's the, that's the actual <laughs> rally. Particularly if they're dressed like shaman. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so, I mean, from the standpoint, you know, kind of as a, as a philosophical matter, I, I object to it because I think yeah. it means that you're not punishing people in any relation or proportion to their culpability. Um, as you know, the nature of you know, systems operate in a particular way, uh, you know, according to their lo- their logic and according to the incentives they create. And the reality is, if you want to enforce certain laws and you don't want to have a police a policeman on every corner and you don't want to be monitoring everybody all the time, you have to make the consequences of law breaking conspicuous enough and significant enough that it encourages or induces a lot of people to comply with the law. Um, not be- you know, not because they're afraid they're necessarily going to be caught, but because they're worried enough about the magnitude of things that happen to them if they are caught. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's ra- you know, at some level, it's rational for the government to say, "Look, we make an example of the prominent guy; fewer people are going to do this next time." Um, you know, again, I don't, I don't, I'm not a, but I don't it, like that. Yeah. I don't like the effect that that, yeah. that that has on the rights of this individual. I mean, that that you know, um, uh, I'm glad I'm not a prosecutor, but you know, I understand why. You know, there is some benefit to that. And it's, you know, it's very common, right, for it appears that there's that some benefit. Yeah, I would I would make one sort of addendum to that. It appears that there's a benefit. But to I have done a lot of stuff where I've gone out and talked to these people. I talked to one of the guys that was in the, the well, he says he wasn't in the building, but uh, uh, that day in Arizona, I went and met him and he, you know, was cloaked and scarves. And it was like, you know, filming somebody from the mafia because he was like, they're going to come and get me if they see me on television. And I said, you know, okay, fair enough. But what it strikes me is that it, it, the opposite of that turns out to be true is that these people feel that they're being set upon now and that the government is, and again, I think this is absurd in a lot of ways, and I kind of get where they're coming from in, in small ways, but rather than actually making an example of them and saying, you know, these people will, will not do this next time, it strikes me that it's actually had the opposite effect on people who mm-hmm. think that we're, the deep state is really, you know, taken over, blah, 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 whatever the stupid language they use is, but... Uh, smart language. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, can, can, we, but can, we, can we steal, can we steal man that though? Because I think the example that they are looking towards, and the one that stands out to me is what we saw take place over the course of the summer. Federal buildings were laid siege to in Portland for not dozens of nights, like a like hundred odd nights. <laughs> like they were doing battle with police officers in the street. And where are the prosecutions? Right, they well, don't I mean, see the same place. Certainly the not. They're certainly not. But this is, but this is the point, right? Right. Like there, there is at a minimum, if there's not a disparate treatment for exactly equivalent circumstances, there is disparate treatment for circumstances that kind of sort of seem similar, but for the many facts that Jonathan already alluded to, like early in the summer, people were mostly masked. A lot of this stuff is taking place at night Um, and it's not happening in DC when they're certifying election at the Capitol building all the same 
for a lot of the people who took took part in January 6th and that mm-hmm. mayhem, they'd seen lots of mayhem yeah. and they'd seen people get away with it. And now they're not getting away with it. And it seems it seems at odds to them. And it's certainly the case that the way people in the media talk about these, these two distinct occurrences um, or sets of occurrences, mm-hmm. I mean, is night and day. They're not wrong that there is different treatment and that there is a different sentiment related to what they're doing. And I think the point you raised earlier, Moynihan, about the likelihood that there would have, they would have actually been able to achieve the goal that they ostensibly wanted to stop this election. I mean, we, we have only to look at actual reporting about the intentions of most of these people. And the reporting all suggests that the FBI has not found any tangible evidence that the vast majority of people arrested um, were actually involved in any sort of broad conspiracy. So far. It's so, so far, but yeah. it doesn't, thus far, we don't have that evidence and maybe it will materialize. But for the most part, the, what's been described is most of the people arrested, the vast majority of them, were individuals who did something, and that's why they're being prosecuted. And some minority of them have relationships to other organizations, but even when they've had this broader communication between them, it's not clear that they have any idea what they were going to do once they got into the building. That's probably true. Um, I, that's I me. Steel, a, again, this is me steel yeah. manning um, um, in order to to try to put. No, things I, like, in the I agree with the point that that you know, in in our kind of tribal moment, when a group of people sees folks that they identify as being in the opposing tribe engage in mayhem on the streets and bear no consequences, you know, we of course you look at that and say, well, then we get to do that too, right? I mean, I, I get that, and and um, I think that. Um, uh, failure to take seriously assaults on federal courthouses, uh, like in Portland, um, has consequences. Um, but also, you know, but the thing we have to remember is, you know, the streets of Portland are not federal territory. Um, they're not controlled um, and monitored the same way by the federal government. Um, uh, the will to go after folks is not the same. Um, in Portland, if the government was going to have done something because these were, you know, events, as you mentioned, by masked people at night and so on. It would have required the police or the National Guard or whomever coming in and just rounding up people indiscriminately and then trying mm-hmm. to figure out who was doing what. And the likelihood of being able to identify who was actually, you know, throwing the smoke bomb into the courthouse or whatever and who was just there cheering it would have probably been impossible. The Capitol's mm-hmm. not the streets of Portland. The Capitol, yeah. they can pinpoint, identify, you know, where every cell phone is throughout the Capitol complex. You had people taking videos of themselves in real time, breaking stuff and stealing stuff and celebrating it. You had, uh, and so this, you know, the combination of it being on federal property, having all of this evidence that's obtainable uh, and that can I- allow you to identify individuals is just something you rarely get in a mob type situation, right? I mean, you just you don't. But if you do it at the Capitol, the government can ha- has that information and they can go after you. And because it's the federal government, they have greater resources than say the city of Portland. I mean, it's that um, doesn't mean it's fair. It just means that you know you engage in this yeah. sort of behavior where it's easier to catch you than. Don't cry when you get caught. And um, I think it's hard in a way for us to see um, what it was like, particularly in the pandemic moment. We're all locked up at home. Um, As all this stuff was happening, as we kind of retreat from it and as time moves on, I imagine 
I try to think of how historians will look at this and look at this mm. moment. And one thing that actually informs me in that way is that the, the gravest moment since Pearl Harbor. <laughs> well, if you're Chuck <laughs> Schumer, yeah. Um, I was in the woods of uh, Georgia with the three percenters, uh, the militia, mm. before, or as, as somebody who watched this piece on YouTube wrote uh, underneath it, the gravy seals, they're, they're rather, <laughs> rather out of shape people. Um, just, I didn't say it, they did. Um, but uh, Semper, Semper Pi was one of the other ones. Um, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, as I've pointed out, somebody had to go back to base camp because when they were doing the exercises, they split their pants. I'm not joking. Um, so the, the leader of this uh, movement after this, when the night falls no and we shaving. build a fire and we're talking about this stuff. And I said, look, you know, there's a lot of people that are concerned here. you got a bunch of guys in the woods with ARs and you're ready for the election. They're talking about the election. And he said, no, 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 you're misunderstanding us. And I think this is actually in the piece where he said, you know, what we're preparing for is not to fight for Donald Trump's, you know, uh, uh, election or that it's going to be stolen from him is that we're worried about when Donald Trump wins, the people on the left coming out and rioting. And I said, oh, that's kind of interesting. He said, well, yeah, look at what's happened um, all around the country. That night, as we were filming, there was a guy that was shot um, in Denver, I think. Does anyone remember this? There was like a private security guy um, who shot. This is like a weird, it, it kind of was forgotten about. This news hit them while we were all sitting around, literally drinking moonshine. And they were like, a patriot, a patriot has been killed by Antifa. Like, and I, and this is in the piece. I said, guys, you don't know what happened yet. They're like, no, no, no. This is what's happening in America right now. Patriots mm -hmm. are being killed by Antifa. And that is the kind of sense that these kind of fringy weirdos have. It's utterly mad and completely insane. But, you know, and of course, it does not in any way excuse this stuff. But to Jonathan's point, you know, it does. That was, I mean, Portland, very, very different from, you know, uh, marching up on the Capitol and saying, this is a presidential election, it shall not stand. Uh, very different. But the the feeling that these people had for the past year of everybody that I talked to was always Antifa. You know, ex what happened when this went down the next day? What did everybody say? No, no, those were Antifa provocateurs, right? This is all Antifa really has infected their brain. Antifa's bad, it exists, it does horrible things in Portland, but to them, it's in, you know, it, it explains everything. And the other thing that I think is, is interesting, you're saying they're masked people in Portland. One of the things that reminds me of, actually, is that when we were all masked and, you know, standing six feet apart, is that the protests that started happening were all of a sudden people very, very packed together, not wearing masks in a lot of instances and saying, you know what? The virus does not, uh, is, is racism is its own virus. And there is a sense that when it, whether it's Portland and people acting on the streets there, or if it's, you know, the, the, you know, the, the coronavirus stuff is that this stuff is special. We, it does not follow the same rules. You do, you can actually go out and protest without a mask on and be very, very tight together, walking over the Brooklyn Bridge or the Manhattan Bridge, totally fine. Uh, you can, you know, burn things down in, in Portland. We understand where you're coming from. We prefer if you didn't do that, but we're on your side sort of intellectually, emotionally. And I think there was a sense from a lot of people, and again, I think they're wrong about this, um, in, in the broader sense, there was a sense of a lot of people that, you know, this special treatment is happening to us because the media hates us, everybody hates us, we're MAGA, and we're, you know, just third-class citizens. Jonathan just went, mm, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I think I agree, I agree with a lot of that. I mean, it's, it's, and, you know, it's not even the people out in the woods, right, in the sense that yeah. I, I was in New York a couple weekends ago, and um, 
you know, before I went, I'm talking to a family member who, you know, primarily watches, you know, I don't know, Fox. Um, and he's telling he's me about how, how much of a, how much of a mess New York is and how terrible it is and so on. And, and, you know, I, I remember what New York was like in the 1970s. That was my first experiences in Manhattan were in the 1970s. And so, you know, I went back to New York and I was prepared for, you know, something out of a Kurt Russell movie. <laughs> and, you know, no, you know, we're, were certain neighborhoods that, you know, had become much, much cleaner and nicer than, than they had been in the 70s. Had, had there, was there some backsliding here and there? Yeah. You know, it wasn't quite San Francisco uh, uh, in terms of the, the degree of decay or anything. But I mean, it was, it was, it, you know, it, it, my family member had been so, you know, so prepared because they saw snippets of, you know, some event occurring on the Upper West Side or some event occurring in the subway. Yeah. And that is now New York that, you know, a lot of us, you know, have our, 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 what we see of the other side or what's occurring somewhere else is this very curated, uh, exaggerated uh, oh. a, a picture that plays to our fears, um, yeah. and, and so, um, right. So, you know, a lot of folks think that, oh, the crazy left is doing this in the cities or doing this wherever. Uh, and I'm sure. Or the on the other side, the, yeah. the, yeah, the, the political catastrophizing that you see, particularly like now the Rittenhouse thing is just the most obvious example of that, you know, white supremacists are everywhere. Everything is white supremacy. Cops are just hunting us down, et cetera, is that the data, of course, doesn't support that. We've talked about that a lot in the show. But the mm -hmm. political catastrophizing that it is a bipartisan instinct, if you consider mm -hmm. these, you know, the two polls, yeah. but everyone is kind of doing it now, is that you talk, I talk to people, I was uh, telling Camille the other day, I was out with um, dinner with some people and one journalist there who was telling me about how she <laughs> believed in criminal justice reform except for Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah. <laughs> literally said it. I was like, no, no, no. That's, what they, that's what they say that you say. And you literally just said it. And it's just like, it, it is like, no, but he is this white supremacist that's go on, going hunting people. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think that's true. I don't want to ruin this dinner, but I'm just going to say, yeah, I don't know. That's what I say. Hakeem Jeffries. <laughs> Larry David. Right. I mean, yeah. Hakeem Jeffries in Congress, you know, a member, mm -hmm. elected member of Congress who goes on and on about criminal justice reform all the time, tweets yeah. out, you know, lock him up, throw away the key. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not Who's just... your congressman, Matt? Is he? No. Yes, he is your congressman. I don't think so. Corey yes, Bush tweets out actual conspiracy theories about people yeah. um, taking shots at her in Ferguson, Missouri. Oh, the Corey um, Bush thing. 15.3 yeah. thousand likes uh, right now, which, yeah. Yeah. you know, no, it's, every, it's... everything is fine over there. No, no QAnon problems with the Democrats. <laughs> one, uh, one last thing... Um, pre-written house that I want to uh, uh, follow up on is Jonathan is that you mentioned uh, in the QAnon shaman case in a lot of these cases the um, it, it, prosecution stacks up a whole bunch of different uh, crimes and sentences and things and then it gets plea bargained out to a degree that most people aren't aware of um, I think it's what 97 percent is is the something like that is the it's in the it's in the 90s it's it, it, it's it is 90s. it is gross it is gross it's too high trials mm. are a rarity they're on and TV. and and yeah. some of these cases and and perhaps in the QAnon shaman case uh, specifically which I haven't looked at that closely um, stacked up charges for the same uh, underlying conduct sure. this thing that you did 
is uh, it violates this statute and also mm-hmm. this one, and then this one over here and this one, and it's just the same. You wore a helmet and it painted your chest <laughs> fucking weirdo. The anti-helmet legislation <laughs> of 1851. I mean, yeah. Listen, I get it. I think um, they, they also described his flag as a weapon. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, um, I mean, there's there's just maybe I, he's from there's Boston, so but... much video and so many photos of this guy. If he had wielded that as a weapon at someone, we'd, I think we would have seen, seen it. it. He's a bit. I think we would have seen it. Uh, but uh, what I want to ask you is what is it given that as a backdrop? Right. What are some fundamental lessons um, about the criminal justice system um, that you think that we should learn from this or even from Rittenhouse, too? But like. Uh, stuff that happens normally in this country that doesn't happen normally in every country that we should maybe pause on a little bit as mm. we're marching through this really weird and intense week of criminal justice news coverage. Well, I mean, I start with, you know, I do think, you know, there's the old joke about, uh, um, uh, right. A, a conservative is a liberal who's been mugged and a libertarian is a conservative who's been arrested. Um, you know, I, I, would, I would like that, to think that among folks that are kind of MAGA sympathetic or MAGA curious or, or what have you, um, uh, if they've been following these cases and following how um, the federal government has been able to get people to uh, uh, plead to um, various charges, uh, some of whom perhaps who did nothing more than, you know, follow th- someone else through a window or something, right? Um, but it didn't actually break anything or maybe even believe that something was allowed or whatever else, um, that this is not unusual. Um, um, if anything, in the case of, of what, we've, what we are aware of with the January 6th prosecutions, it's actually less egregious than business as usual in our criminal justice system throughout most of the country most of the time. That is to say, the way... Charging charges are used to put unbelievable pressure on criminal defendants where the threat of of possible jail time is so great. And the implicit threat, it should be should be, be clear, isn't not only take your chances is what might this is what might happen, but if you make us take you to trial, we yeah. will try and punish you by putting you in jail for a longer period of time. Which the judge explicitly said in the QAnon case, if I remember correctly. We know that's what prosecutors do. We know that judges often feel that way. People will defend this by saying plea bargains are what allows us to pro- to process the cases, right? That's how you get the throughput. That's how you clear the cases. But it's a real problem. Folks like Clark, Clark Neely at the Cato Institute has done a lot on this. Carissa Hesek at the University of North Carolina has done some important empirical research on kind of understanding um, the nature of how this uh, operates. But it's a real problem because a lot of people are put in the position, and this relates to the Rittenhouse thing, which is kind of the flip side, right? Which is um, trials serve a real purpose um, of forcing the government to prove that you did what it says you did. And mm. as the Rittenhouse trial may show some people, um, what the government claims and what we think may have happened and what the government can actually prove in a courtroom following the rules of evidence with a jury aren't always the same thing. And insofar as we have a system that allows prosecutors and perhaps even encourages them to pile on charges to force pleas and avoid trials, we're actually letting the government 
we're making it too easy for the government to to put people in jail and to get and to get guilty verdicts. And while you know, I wouldn't say we should eliminate plea bargaining altogether. Um, we should look at this and say this is not this is not the way the system should work. This is not the way our criminal justice system should work, especially in a country that at its founding saw the jury right as as essential and as 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 significant as as we did. Um, uh, and we've really kind of given up that that part of our heritage. And if it can serve for people that it concerns when they look at what's going on in with the January 6th prosecutions, my message is it just scratches the surface and mm. it, it is it is just a tiny window into what is a a a broad and endemic problem which you know elevates efficiency and and prosecutorial convenience over justice mm. we've kept you for a while jonathan i i would like to ask about the rittenhouse situation just given sure. what you said about what we see when we actually see a trial take place it seems that Americans live in, in two distinct universes now, um, and people see what they want to in this particular story. But I, when I look at this, because I'm perfectly objective and always write mm-hmm. about these things, mm-hmm. I mean, it is difficult for me not to see the profound defects in the case that's being argued by the prosecution in the Rittenhouse case. I cannot claim to have watched all of the proceedings, but I've certainly watched a lot of it. Um, and I imagine I've watched more than most people. And there have just been so many obvious rookie mistakes made. Um, the, the prosecution seems completely unprepared to actually proceed with this case. It seems that they have excessively overcharged this. And it feels to me like another moment where we're seeing a, a prosecution of a person um, in a circumstance that is at least in some way explicitly politically motivated. There are plenty of other cases I could give. I know when Moynihan and I um, were talking on the Patreon that we just recorded, Moynihan, you alluded to that case with the Proud Boys in New York, the kid who got like five years for essentially getting into a a street fight or something like that. But with the Rittenhouse case, it is very difficult for me not to see that there is some legitimate basis for a self-defense argument, especially with the first shooting that takes place where he's being chased by a man who's screaming that he's going to do things to him um, and suggesting you ain't going to do shit, throws some object at him while another man in the group that's chasing him is firing a gun in the air. (laughs) Like that's incredible. And of course the prosecution doesn't have to make an argument on behalf of the defense, but me personally sitting at home as someone who watches a lot of this stuff and pays some attention to these things, like find myself deeply uncomfortable with the degree to which the prosecution seemed to be just willfully bending reality in representing what had gone on there in order to try and score a conviction that was going to destroy this kid's life. Now, if you tell me there's, you know, something short of outright murder that you want to prosecute him for because he put other people in danger or something, I'm willing to hear those things, but to disregard the fact that he was defending himself in that circumstance just seems just seems odd to me. But I'm I'm wondering what you see, Jonathan, when you look at this case, yeah. and if if you do see a broader pattern, um, sure. in terms of yeah. the way criminal prosecutions are playing out these days. So, in the ideal world, prosecutors would be less concerned about convictions and more concerned with doing justice. Um, but that's you know, in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, Prosecutors want convictions. Um, prosecutors are often politicians. They're often you know, running for elect. They often are elected or they're appointed by people who are elected or they plan on being elected in the future to something. Um, being a tough prosecutor is popular. 
Uh, and when there is a really high profile case, it is hard for prosecutors to be neutral or to try and be even handed. And, you know, we were talking earlier today. I mean, sometimes we've had some examples of this here in Cleveland. You know, sometimes that means the prosecutor tanks something before the grand jury. Mm -hmm. um, this has happened with some prominent cases involving police shootings where, you know, because police unions maybe are politically powerful, especially in, in local primaries. Um, you know, you just, you don't, the grand jury just doesn't indict the cop who you know, shot the kid or what have you. And, um, you know, the prosecutor can play that game and, and, and take that side. And sometimes you get the flip side, right? Where there is someone that is vilified or demonized by some portion of the community and the prosecutor, either because he swept up in that himself or because he's responding to the political incentives, um, figures he's got to satisfy, you know, that portion of the community's bloodlust. Um, and, um, you know, I'm kind of where you are. I'm, I, I'm uncomfortable with the idea of, uh, from what I know, um, of holding up Kyle Rittenhouse as some sort of martyr or hero. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he was reckless. I think he was misguided, um, perhaps even somewhat delusional about kind of what noble role he could play. Um, but perhaps well-intentioned, um, uh, you know, but but certainly did things that contributed to the tragedy of what occurred that night. Um, and maybe there are things he, you know, ways in which he should be held accountable uh, for that. But at least, again, from what I've seen, almost certainly overcharged. Um, and I think this tends to happen more at the state and local level where the political uh, pressures are greater, right, where prosecutors are more likely to be elected, um, more likely to have direct uh, political um, incentives. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in, in federal prosecutors are, while they are very aggressive with charging and forcing plea bargains are generally not supposed to charge things they don't believe they can prove and try not to bring things to trial that they're not fairly confident they can prove. Um, they may charge it and hope you plea on it, but in terms of actually what they're going to go to trial on, the, the culture is much more focused on. If you're going to take this to trial, you're going to win. Um, yeah, I don't think you have that same degree of, uh, I don't know if professionalism is the right word, but at the state and local level always. And, you know, you get a prosecutor who's like, you know, I can't run for reelection if I don't prosecute this case. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and we've, you know, there are lots, you know, we can go back and find lots of examples, right? The, the Duke lacrosse case. And I mean, there, there are lots of examples oh. where prosecutors, um, uh, trumped up charges or overcharged um, and ended up um, things ended up falling apart on them. Um, and that's specifically in reaction to media coverage, like particularly with Mike Nifong in the sure. Duke lacrosse case, yeah. or, you know, for instance, you know, here in New York city, uh, Tish James and what's happening with uh, uh, former governor Cuomo. And a lot of people are suggesting that there's a political motivation there and that there's, you know, some kind of, you know, overzealous uh, attempt to put him in handcuffs and, and, uh, and, you know, really make an example of him. But the question I guess I have in this is that can we be comfortable in saying that this is a country that is, you know, really kind of chock full of political prosecutions? And I can say a few things that make me think that is that, you know, I see things that happen that get a lot of media coverage. And then I see after something doesn't happen locally, 
or doesn't come out the way that people want it to come out locally, you have a federal civil rights uh, investigation that comes and happens. And that tends to be of like, we don't like what has happened here. And this is because this is something that has made a lot of, you know, sort of news coverage. And we want to react to it in a political way. And so that is kind of pushed. Am I being a little... Is this a little overstated in the sense that there's a lot of things that could probably be deemed political prosecutions in this country? There are a lot of things that could be deemed political prosecutions, but I don't think they are the lion's share of prosecutions that occur. They're just the ones that But enough to be worrying? Oh, sure. Um, And, you know, look, I mean, the Rittenhouse case, you know, I haven't haven't watched every day of the trial or anything, but the reality is, is that... you know, there are things, as I understand it, that went well for him in the trial. There are things that didn't go well for him in the trial. There are things where the prosecutor clearly did not make too strong a showing. But we have a jury system. And, you know, what what our political leaders and political figures, their approach should be is, gosh, this is what's being presented to the jury. The jury mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. has heard it all. The jury has been instructed on how to process it, and they're going to make a judgment, and we should respect it. I wish that's how the media coverage of the trial uh, portrayed it. Um <laughs> Um, but you know, maybe I'm just looking for a silver lining, but the silver lining is you get a case like this where ultimately a jury of his peers is going to render the judgment. The prosecutor doesn't get to render the judgment. CNN doesn't get to render the judgment. The jury of his peers does. Um, and, and that, that's the way it should be. And in some of these other cases, that's not, um, what happens. Um, uh, well, to your point about the, the silver lining here is that, you know, you, you mentioned this before that. That's, you know, it's it's nice in some ways when things go to trial because all of this evidence comes out and people get to adjudicate. This is what changed in, in, in this situation. I mean, this woman, I can't remember her name, from the Young Turks who said, man, I had this totally wrong. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's because there was a trial and you actually were not getting these little bite-sized things from the media. There was actually a pretty, you know, good layout of evidence that I said, oh, I, oh, I didn't know that, which happened to me a number of times this week. For a lot of people, it was like, oh, the victims weren't black? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Well, I think and, I saw. I don't, I don't know if they know that. It, most people know that. And it's, <laughs> it's still them. Was it Anna Casparian? Anna Casparian. Yeah, Casparian. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so I think that's usually. I mean, unfortunately, as we talked about already, most people who are charged don't get trials. They uh, they face the pressure of of yeah. accepting a plea, and that you know I, I, there are not a lot of areas where I call where I think the government should be spending lots more money than it does. Um, but I actually think that you know spending the money to be able to have far more trials than we do, you know, which is is expensive, right? Plea bargains are cheap by comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, is you know right? You kind of rank the things that government should be doing. Um, you know, criminal justice is is pretty high up there, and um, and, and maybe much, bringing fewer people to trial or putting them in a situation where there well, has to be. I trial. would also, or, or I would allowing, also like yeah. there to be a lot fewer things to be charged of in the first place. I mean, and, yeah, and, exactly, yeah. But, especially but, if it's the same underlying conduct, yeah. right? Yeah. But you know, if you're talking about you know breaking stuff and hurting people, I mean, you know, uh, that's you know those. It's not that we are just having people plea out on the victimless crimes, right? It's it's across the board, mm-hmm. and. Um, so yes, obviously, um, you know, a more rational approach to drugs and more rational approach to possession crimes of all sorts would clear a lot out of the system. Prosecutors would hate it because their view is it's a lot easier to catch the person with the drugs in their pocket than the person in mid deal, um, or to catch the person making the stuff. So they like, you know, the fact that they're easier things to prosecute, but you know, I'm not a fan of that. Um, but you know, we should recognize that trials, 
speedy trials, getting having them happen regularly and quickly is not cheap. And it's a lot better than a lot of the things we spend uh, a lot of our money <laughs> yes, on. That is right. <laughs> Amen. Those seem like uh, quality last words. Uh, it's just going to get wasted. I think this right is now. also a quality uh, first outing <laughs> on We the Fifth. Can you show me how, how? Oh, yeah. You haven't really done anything to that bottle. You haven't put a dent in it. Oh, you well, know, we're asking him questions. We're making him talk. You have to stay another hour. Stay another yeah. hour. <laughs> Pour yourself a glass. You, you've earned it. Um, and if you finish Still the bottle, we won't call tell. back in. All right. We <laughs> won't tell. Yes. Kyle Rennan has this American here. I'm just saying what I really think. I don't care what Case Western thinks. This is American here. I'll be like, you know, I used to live on Rittenhouse Square, which is true. Oh, yeah. You just sound like Joe Biden. All right. He spit out his brown. Almost. Look at that. Almost. Almost. He's experienced. That is experienced there. Not going to discipline. I had to go to Kentucky for this bottle. I'm not spitting it out. All right. Thank you, man. That John Adler, real fucking psycho. <laughs> Case Western Reserve. What the fuck? Case Western is this a university is, or like a fucking I, I, like a, a whiskey, wine yeah, uh, whiskey company. Yeah, I mean, that's where. I don't, that's know, where I don't know if we should have one like anymore. Any more fascist MAGA apologists? Should we do yeah, that anymore? Exactly. Maybe we should stop. Yeah, yeah. we could just get that on. You can talk about how this is just like what happened to the Black Panthers. No, listen. You know? I think I think Jonathan seemed to suggest that Thad had a good point. He was making don't some drawing some. I don't know. Words in his mouth. I think he said he was drawing some useful parallels. Well, I'll say yeah, actually, he, he was, was drawing actually, some was. useful the communist useful one parallels. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I mean look, that, there, there were there were people marching alongside those those people on January sixth. It's it's one of those look. At the bottom line, my bottom line in all of this shit is that we have the political violence (laughs) is a part as a part of domestic politics in the United States. Now, it is a thing. It is here. And it has been for some time. My principal concern is people (laughs) is people overlooking this is people overlooking this reality and overlooking the fact that it is bipartisan. The best way to stop people from overlooking is to. Free the shaman. No, I don't, I don't think get thinking. super mad at the Antifa. man with the horn hat. So necessarily, <laughs> I definitely think that I definitely think that overcharging people is bad. And as I said during our conversation with Jonathan, yeah. I would feel much better about where we are right now if if the press were a bit more sane, and if the national dialogue around all of this wasn't how much time can we give these fucking people? Let's let's bury them under the jail. Yeah. This is it's it's not it's not just a, a fracas. It's an insurrection, a deadly insurrection, the worst day in America. We have to do anything, something. The fever, the the desperate appetite for blood and for revenge. It makes me concerned about. I mean, this yeah, state of it's sort of undeniable that I mean, we, we remember all these headlines. You know, seventh person dies as a result of like that. That's good. 48 people have died in the Bataan death march to the Capitol. By the end of it, they'll all be dead. Everyone's going to be dead. Yeah. Yeah. In in relation to the police officer who worked on January 6th dies in car accident in In, another state. And by the way, when that happened, and people said, well, you don't know what happened. I, I know on Twitter, I know a little more than that forensic pathologist. I just, I just, I can feel it. You notice that nobody talks about that anymore. Brian Sicknick has never been yeah. mentioned since that came out. And there were days, days, weeks, months where it was mentioned, you know, ad infinitum. 
and like, look, I think it's undeniable. One thing's undeniable. Two things are undeniable. One is that the people that charged up there on that day are all fucking morons. Every single one of them. Uh, you hear them interviewed. You see them. They're fucking morons. They don't deserve our respect. But that does not mean, and this is something we should apply to everybody and on all sides, that you can't actually honestly say that if people were like in a Capitol Hill, you know, Capitol Police jail for like four weeks and it was just on the other side that pe- there would not be like marches and protests and people. It absolutely. Would. I, I think that's kind of undeniable. I mean, it's, you can't prove that, you know, it's not falsifiable. But at the same time, I think that there is like, you know, and the fact that so many people who who normally are, you know, on board with criminal justice reform are like, you know, I'm going to teach these guys a lesson. I'm like, you realize that when other people go to jail for a very long time, the same logic is used to keep, teach people lessons. It's every not time. every time. It's not just for, for, for this. And we have to be consistent about that. Stuff. I've got a, a philosophical question. So it's obviously for Camille, um, which is to say um, kind of starting from Moynihan's position the day of when he's like, lock these fuckers up. Yeah. I still think that's true. And, um, and thinking about the QAnon uh, shaman um, now, um, is there, so like the QAnon shaman, uh, we, yeah. there's no credible reports of him engaging in violence that I'm aware of. No. I didn't follow it closely. I don't think so. But he just, you know, the, the horns and the he didn't. He, there's <laughs> credible reports of him asking for lots of vegan meals. Super in person. vegan. And that's important. Um, but is there so like, um, you know, there's one interpretation of like, hey, the dude was nonviolent. He just trespassed. Mm-hmm. But is there like is there an extra like is, are, is there like violent sauce put on um, uh, a, an otherwise nonviolent trespass if you are going into a situation that contains violence, that creates sort of unrest and uncertainty that involves Violence and certainly like freaks out mm-hmm. a lot of cops for very good reasons. Some of whom got hurt. Um, so is it? Can you? Is it possible to say that someone who trespassed and broke through a door on that day um, truly was engaged in nonviolence, given the sort of violence surrounding that? Or how do you think about that, Camille? I mean, for me, the answer is undoubtedly yes. People arrive in different circumstances and have different contexts. I know having watched a fair amount of that footage, I'm sure you guys have seen the video of people who they weren't the first people to breach the door. They were maybe person 50. And by the time they get to the door, there's actually a police officer at the door, but they're standing to the side while people stream into the building. If you haven't seen any of what transpired before, if perhaps the, 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 confrontation the violent one that makes someone where someone got their eye gouged out was around the corner you just walked into the building and the door was open and there was an official person there who didn't say you're you're a violent trespasser and doing this will get you prosecuted it's not the same thing so absolutely that's possible and i think any individual case has to be adjudicated on its own merits and as jonathan alluded to that is expensive, it's time-consuming, and it demands something from us in terms of our appetite for the truth with all of its complexity. That's the least that anyone who finds themselves facing an ultimate justice deserves. It is certainly what I would want if I was put on trial for any fucking thing, um, and it's what I want for any other citizen of this country who finds themselves in those circumstances. I don't, I don't want people going to jail kind of frivolously. And I certainly don't want their sentences enhanced on account of 
bullshit. You were just too good at putting on your costume today. That made you <laughs> the most famous participant in one of the stupidest, unnecessary and unseemly events in American history. Like that's unfortunate and it should, it should be disconcerting to people, certainly more disconcerting than it is. Moynihan, it's not just um, a punchline. You've uh, surely revisited this uh, once or twice, but since your initial take of like all them motherfuckers need to go mm-hmm. to jail, yeah. um, do you want everybody who trespassed into the Capitol on January 6th to spend at least one night? In jail? No, I know. I think that there's degrees here, but I mean, I think there's a lot of people that should go to jail. And I think, I think the difference that I have with starting him, with Jonathan Adler. Uh, yeah. He's uh, <laughs> if he's not in jail right now, yeah. then we've done something wrong. Cause I yeah. called the, I called the Cleveland police. Yeah. They, I swatted him while we were on the phone. <laughs> um, That's what you're doing with your phone. Yeah. So I was, doing, yeah. I was swatting Jonathan. Adler. Sneezing. Uh, um, I was sneezing and swatting um, the two houses. Uh, no, I think that my, my issue with this is, um, as you point out, this guy did not, the shaman guy, as far as we know, didn't uh, do anything violent. This is, you know, so much video of this that, um, ProPublica has like, you know, this, you can basically an edit station where you can choose from 78,000 angles and, you know, giving somebody close to four years. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot of time. It's a, it's lot. a lot of time in jail. Um, and that just seems, you know, and, and it's not for this guy. I don't, I want, I think that he deserves to go to jail. I do. And I'm, it's not something I'm like, oh, I reserve for these people. I don't like these people. I don't think that what they did was good. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they're sensible people. They're mostly people that have some variation on the mental illness that the, the shaman has. I mean, dressing up in a fucking Vikings uniform and running into the Capitol uh, is in then demand pretty rad. Yeah. And then it's getting arrested cool. and being like, where's my vegan meal is not a normal person. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, but um, I want to live in that world, man. But you know, it, it is the, to, to the thing you said before, and I might've mentioned this in the past. It always reminds me of the Stokely Carmichael prosecution in 1968, in which he was arrested and found guilty, actually defended himself of um, inciting a riot Right. And it's like when when you said the the start of that question, can you be responsible in a different way when it's a kind of atmosphere of violence? And that's basically what they got Stokely Carmichael on. Also a political prosecution, by the way. I don't like Stokely Carmichael in any way, but that was a political prosecution, 100 percent. And, you know, that kind of stuff worries me. I don't like I mean, I try to think a couple of chess moves ahead of this of where is this going to be applied next? And I think that's something that liberals would have been very, very smart to think of when Barack Obama was exercising the expanded George Bush executive powers. Where does this go when you're not in power? Who is actually going to have the levers of power and how are they going to exercise it? It's not going to be what you want. And it was never part of the conversation under Trump by Democrats. No, it wasn't like, oh, my God, crazy person is in charge. Let's like reduce executive power. That didn't in, come no, up. No, because in my lifetime and in your lifetime, the first days of an administration is about what executive orders are going to roll back previous executive orders and what new executive orders are going to set the country on a good path of conservatism, liberalism, whatever it might be. And that's just kind of taken as a, as a thing. We don't, it's not good when those things are taken as normal. And I think that when you start prosecuting people in this way, and again, don't misunderstand me. I, I think that a lot of these are necessary. I just don't like, like Jonathan 
of like, let's plea this down to something, get it out of the system, but you will spend a lot of time in jail because if you don't plea to this, you could potentially spend 15 years, 10 years, 20 years in jail. That stuff is pretty alarming when you have a guy like that. On the other hand, you have somebody that we started talking about, Steve Bannon. Bannon loves this. Bannon mm-hmm. wants this. Bannon appreciates the fact that he was caught. He, his was a designed contempt. I mean, that was what he was attempting to do, the attempted mm-hmm. contempt. And it proves a political point for him. He gets to take his bullhorn. And, you know, I talked to him a week before, a week and a half before the election, two weeks before the election, whatever the night of the vice presidential debate. So I guess maybe it was a little longer. And he, and I said, what happens when, when, if, if, if Trump loses? And he said, um, he's not going to concede. So this to me at the time. It was, you, you could have seen that before the election that Steve Bannon, somebody who still had influence in the White House, still was a, you know, as much as Trump said publicly that, no, I won that. You know, when we brought Steve Bannon aboard in 2016, he didn't win that for me. It was me. I'm always, they understood that Bannon actually shifted the balance of that pretty Within seriously. Within six weeks. Within six weeks. Yeah. And uh, he's quite good at that. Um, the problem is every time I want to talk to him for a piece that I'm doing, he's getting arrested. So it's very hard to get in communication with him now, either on a Chinese mogul's boat or on, on this. Although uh, Roger Stone is available soon. Yeah, Roger Stone, another another real classy. for uh, governor. Classy guy. Um, very classy guy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like this, this stuff of like what, what Bannon is doing is, you know, he's trying to make a martyr of himself. And I think Jonathan's point was also right. He's trying to drag this out for a little bit too, and make this look, I mean, the Democrats are coming off a number of things on Capitol Hill that were designed to upend MAGA that didn't work. Um, you can think of two impeachments. You can think of the Russia stuff. It didn't have the intended effect, and they keep on swinging and missing. And it's look, the Russia stuff in particular is looking worse by the minute. Worse by the, the minute. minute. I mean, it's really, like Aaron really Monte is going to be doing victory laps. Yeah, yeah. Whoever long. thought that Aaron Monte was going to be. You know what he's not doing victory laps on? Venezuela. Yeah, well. But, you know, you know bro- broken clock uh, or China. Bit of a China simp at this point. Oh, my God. So, anyway, yeah, whatever. This is depressing. Well, it's it's American trade policy that has completely sabotaged those countries. Those projects would be working fine, but yeah. for American intervention. No, I'm so happy that uh, the trade war worked out for everybody's advantage. Yeah. It, it's funny. Um, I was, as as you were talking, Moynihan, I was um, checking out uh, the looking for. Otherwise not no, listening. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not, not, not trading crypto. No, I was listening. I was as best as I can. I mean, I mean, God, you were going on a really long time. And most of the time what you say, it just isn't that sharp. This is just a mm-hmm. problem. This yeah, is why yeah. I'm here. No, I understand Dude. why you say that when you're always in my shadow. It's tough. You got to really publicly try to denounce yeah. me. I mean, it's yeah. fine. Yeah. Freddie DeBure or whatever the fuck his name is. <laughs> oh, oh. Just some guy on Twitter. Uh, uh, this is apparently what I said. That is how I, I was going to introduce you today. Mike yeah. Wynette, that guy, that one. Sorry, I, I'll talk about that in a second, but I look back at that stuff. I have no idea what he's talking about, but whatever uh, I said was totally right because um, I don't know this dude, but he, he clearly used to be a total dick on the internet. So Well, we, we have to get him on I the podcast. Let's, let's I, look, I think somebody said he's changed his stripes, this Freddie DeBoer character. I'm happy to to entertain it, and it looks like he maybe has, no, and I've that's read, good. I've read his uh, his Substack, and I've read it with interest and, and have benefited from some of it. I don't agree with all of it, but I, I find him interesting. Mm. Um, at least there, he's... he's He's, he's not doing the bad things that he has perhaps done in the past. Um, but I was going to say that about the uh, Minneapolis police station, which was burned to the ground. Um, there, there've been a couple of indictments in that particular case. I know one kid got like four years 
and was <laughs> fined $12 million, which I imagine he does not have and cannot pay. But <laughs> yeah. in either case, seems like, a bit that's, that's like the time that the QAnon shaman got. No, well, you, said, you said four years? Four years. Oh, that's more because the QAnon yeah. guy got, yeah, yeah. He, he got a little more, but he also he burned down months. a police station. Yeah. 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 So. So he's a little more time, but you know, but it's, it's, it's comparable. And you know, that's a, that's a, a, a certain different level, like arson. And um, I don't know. I don't know. It, did they charge him with attempted murder? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. He, he pled down yeah. and ended up getting that. It's Weirdly. The thing is, I think the issue there is that it didn't get any coverage. I, I didn't see anything about this. Yeah, there was some, and this was, this was a while ago. I mean, this was about a year ago. Did Joy I Reid mean, talk I, about it fucking every day? It. Actually, no, it's not, a, it's not a year ago. This is from April of this year, April 28th, 2021. Yeah, I didn't hear about you No, know, there was nothing to talk about. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate. He did it for freedom, for justice. He did oh. it because of the genocide of black men in America and the desperate need to close police stations. Mm -hmm. um, so just set keep them on fire. Safe, it's efficient. Right? It's efficient. Yeah. You save the taxpayers money, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, just let you know, the whole I used thing to, if you go back to this podcast, you can find many, multiple episodes in which I defended Joy Reid. Do you remember that? No. Yeah, yeah, because I, I, I <laughs> on the on the old uh, uh, gay things. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, no, I, she's I totally funny. she's totally right about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mean about, the, about the Russians? The Russians hacking? No, just in general. Like way, way I knew back. her a little bit in, before she decided that she could make a bigger paycheck by being a complete psycho, and I was like, no, nah, she's fine. And I didn't recognize that what everybody was making ends meet, and that there's this perverse incentive cycle to actually act like this and accuse people of the most, the wildest, most absurd things and just hyperventilate on TV in ways that normal human beings don't actually talk or interact. That's what the, I mean, it's insane. It's like sex and porn. Nobody fucks like that, but nobody actually talks like that. In real <laughs> I, think, I think that's actually an important insight because it came up in the, uh, the elections the other uh, two weeks ago at Virginia and elsewhere. Um, especially, you know, with MSNBC's and Joy Reid's reaction to it was so, and Nicole Wallace for crying out loud, the worst. So totally <laughs> like, they lacked any vocabulary to like process this. Um, mm. And you find the same thing the way they're talking about Rittenhouse when the verdict comes in and we're recording this on a Wednesday night. So mm -hmm. um, verdict mm -hmm. might come Thursday or Friday. Who knows? Um, it's not going to be murder. It's just, yeah. I don't yeah. think yeah. Yeah. at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be a subset of people like that who have not put themselves in a position to understand the verdict yes. at all. No, actually, actually um, they have. It's just what's is white supremacy and this is what happens. This is, this is yeah, well, that's their, America. yeah, that's right. That's their understanding. <laughs> but it, it, also, I think they're kind of, they're kind of rooting for that verdict now because it's better think, for them. I, I think I, I, I don't want to say, I don't want to say what I think because it's not nice. Um, and it's inflammatory. Do you understand what podcast you're on, right? Not, I'm, <laughs> not, you understand not what the exactly. fifth column is, right? Um, Fire. But <laughs> Fire. <laughs> let's just say it's it's in people's incentive structures to um, want there to be a reaction on the streets that is equivalent to the insanity of the reaction sure. in shitty lit. Uh, television studios in Midtown mm -hmm. Manhattan that are otherwise empty. Like they would love it if everyone or more people were all hepped up to the crazy like they were. And I think that's probably mm -hmm. it's a terrible thing to make it a, a prediction on such things. 
I don't think anything like that's going to happen. Yeah, I think I, that I, I those not. people who are actually paying attention, by which I don't fucking mean journalists, because journalists who like talk about this case on Twitter, who have watched it even less than I have, and I haven't watched it much at all, um, immediately, like, you know, this judge needs to be, like, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, rung up on federal civil rights charges. Like, yeah. what the? Well, you, what are you even talking He's- about? <laughs> um uh, uh, but like that's I don't know why you're pointing that gun in here. That what are you doing? Turn off the cameras. Everybody's acting like a fucking loser. Someone pointed out, <laughs> rightly so, it was probably like Red Steez, and I don't want to give him credit, but uh he's uh, funny. If he's funny. Come on, um, funny. he is funny. Um, but like he's like, ah, you know, that's not my favorite Gary Oldman rule. <laughs> <laughs> Dude's funny, man. Super I, funny. I like his stuff. Super funny. But uh but like it, like there's an attempt to uh, almost conjure up a national uh, conflagration over this mm-hmm. trial. And, like, yes. I don't think that the public is going to comply with that particular order. No, it's not the summer of last year in which the number of people that were in Kenosha that were not from Kenosha was probably 60%. That's mm-hmm. not, I don't think it's going to happen. There'll be a small number of activists or something. Well, let's hope. But to your point of it, they kind of – There's, I think there's two things going on there. One is that, like, I get the I get the kind of sense of what you got in Iraq, that people who opposed the war from the very beginning, there was a certain subset, very very small subset, that every time there was a roadside bomb that went off and twenty five people killed, they like gleefully tweeted about it. So they sort of wanted more people to die. I I don't I think that's a very very micro subset, but I get that sense now that it's like the, the more violence that happens the more idiot fucking fake pundits can, you know, take their cars to midtown Manhattan, get into the makeup chair. And then they're, they're so excited to say, this is the righteous anger of the oppressed. This is France Fanon, you know, personified in 2021. There is no, um, I mean, I mean, honestly, I mean, I, maybe I'm wrong about this, but is there any censure or any, whatever you would say, censure is probably the best way. Of saying something is completely out of bounds and crazy. No, you get like a hit on Mediaite. People love it. People retweet it. So if you say that, you know, this is the glorious October revolution that we've been waiting for in 2000 as things are burning in Kenosha. If you say that this is the reckoning, we've, you were using that phrase now as a stock phrase for what happened last year. The tragedy and the, the offensive things that happened both, um, you know, to George Floyd, and there's other examples of this, too. Who's, whose killer was prosecuted. Whose killer was prosecuted and is going to jail for life. Yeah, yeah he's not going to ever come out. Um, and if he does, he better, you know, have some plastic surgery and move to the moon or something. Mm. But, you know, this happened, the, the racial reckoning was a brand that was given to this spasm of both violence and sometimes incoherence by the media class who said, this is what this is. We're telling you right now that this is the racial reckoning. Why? Why now? What Are things worse than they've ever been? Well, no, they're absolutely not. If you look at the numbers and all this stuff, it's absolutely not true. But there was an opportunism from people in the media class and particularly in the sort of cable news class that when this stuff was happening and the famous thing of, you know, Kenosha, we're talking about that, standing in front of a burning building and saying, what was the, what was the Chiron? Mostly peaceful. Mostly peaceful. Mm-hmm. You know, fiery. That was right. Fiery, fiery comma, fiery, but mostly, mostly peaceful. Mostly people yes. like, but, but literally fiery. Chiron. Not like fiery rhetoric. Like literally, yeah, yeah. it's on fire. No, the flames going <laughs> on behind you. Yeah. 
but that that construction was so perfect for for everybody right it gave us all of this this moment that we see i go into the bookstore the other day in in brooklyn that i i didn't send you guys this the end cap of these the store was all of these lunatic books like crazy fucking books about mostly about white women and about how white women and feminism are just like white feminists Enough are like their the tears. I, I didn't I, yeah, know where I you were know. going with that. I thought you were going yeah, to Yeah, this I mean egg, which, Well, I've trust me, I'm annoyed with white women are crying too because they're often at my house. And, but that's different. That's different. I don't write books about it. I could write a book about Yet. it. Here's I, a yeah, I mean somebody might write a book about it, but it's not going to be me. <laughs> but this shit that, that we created that moment, right? Out of whole cloth. Because what are we saying, right? Like, if you go back and say, oh, my God, obviously race didn't come up in the prosecution of Derek Chauvin. That's not something that's impossible to prove. So you can't prove that there's racial motivation. In the past, you have a number of these people. There, Mark Furman, who had said the N-word, and he was obviously a fucking piece of shit and clearly a racist guy. You enter that, and it just totally collapses that hand. There was no ER. He was just he was singing like W, like N W. No, no. Mark Furman was a very hard ER, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) He believed that stuff. Nineties, yeah. And then Fox News hired him as a like a legal analyst, which was a really great moment in television. What it is, people don't understand Mark Furman. That's the whole thing. (laughs) Free Mark Furman, strictly for my niggas. Yeah. What yeah. said. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I'm remembering sure. the right guy. Right? Do you got well, the, you got those cassettes off you eBay right? at some point in in the building, right? You may have even been on the Independence at some point. I'm making no, that up. no, I don't think so. I'm making that up. Oh my that god, that would be funny be if it had happened. Yeah, if you had a panel with him and Stacy Coon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, watch your mouth. All, all the scumbags of. Uh, of I did go on uh, G Gordon Liddy's radio show once yeah. and uh, yeah. shook his hand. That did you? Good. Yeah. Headshots. Was that what it's called? No. You don't remember that? Mm-hmm. Some people out there. I'm not going to describe it because I'm gonna, I, you know, there's so much satisfaction taken by fifth column listeners when they're like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So I want to explain. <laughs> Google headshots. Um, I want to yeah, know how I don't much know. satisfaction there is about that with the, the deep cuts. Mm-hmm. Trust me, you, you get yeah. a lot of emails yeah. about it. Yeah. A lot. Now yeah. I've talked to people in, in person about this, actually. I've had encounters with them like, yeah, I'd love the podcast. I mean, I, I don't know what you're talking about half the time, and I have to, like, Google. Yeah, stuff. no, like, I'm oh, happy that fucking know, morons listen like, to those people stuff. are from the Silicon Valley. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They don't understand anything <laughs> yes, except the one out. thing they understand. Yeah, that is not true. If I just and then they try to DeFi. apply it everywhere else. <laughs> DeFi! Like, what? I just say DeFi, it's fine. Do they oh, just, like, walk God. around now with, like, like with Web three tattooed yeah, on their yeah. forehead, like I'm, the I'm just working on Web three. This podcast is in the, the metaverse. The nation state <laughs> with Web three. Actually, we should we should start to do a pod, a version of the podcast in the metaverse? Could we be first? Could we be the first? Yeah, one? sure. First in the metaverse. Yeah, yeah let's do first it. In the metaverse. Do, what is your now, what is maybe. your avatar going to be, Camille? Uh, I don't know. I have to figure it out. RIP Golf, by the way. No. RIP no. Golf. I think them. Eldridge Cleaver when he's wearing those pants with the codpiece. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually yeah. not a bad idea. Speaking of deep cuts. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if I was Camille, I'd rock with like Sly Stone at the Summer yeah. Soul. Like yeah. just like fucking Space Bug. 
Yeah, this is the big community. Like, welcome to the latest uh, uh, episode of Word Up. And then we just put Word Up in by Cameo <laughs> in the metaverse. Because there's no copyright oh, in the metaverse. I want to see Camille like Photoshop with the Word Up hair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Cameo <laughs> hair. Yeah. Well, just throw that out. It's not so yeah, bad. Well, but it's got to go straight up. It's got to be an of kid and play. Use it if we can dance. <laughs> I, I love Do you think it. more people stop listening to this podcast because of these moments or because of the deep cuts? No, they <laughs> actually want. No, they want this. They want this, and I hear, I get emails about that all the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't even know what the fuck we were talking about. What are we talking about? What is going what on? I was here? Talking I've been about, drinking for like two hours. And uh, no there's this clear. bottle that Ralph Desain. Yeah, how, you, how would you pronounce that? Desain. 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 Yeah. Sent us Same. like three years ago, long enough ago that like Camille wrote a post-it note and like, oh wow, to make sure that we. That's knew. when he lived in America. Yeah, before, yeah. He, before he lived in wherever he lived. Nancy was Tip making uh, us Manhattans out of this uh, yeah. delicious whatever brown liquid I'm drinking. I'm gonna. Pour so if you're gonna attack me for anything on this podcast, just remember that I'm kind of drunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Are you driving? Because I'll pour you more. Shh! Stop it. <laughs> yeah. I did buy a car today though. Um, did, actually, did I don't. I don't know. I mean, are there are there people we need to direct direct uh, umbrage at, or who we need to celebrate for being generally good at things? I mean, I know there there's no shortage of such people, but I'm just wondering. Wondering cable aloud, news perhaps. Cable is news in general cancer. I'm I'm going to be John Dean right here, and this is a cancer on the Uh-oh. American body politic. It's kind of true. It's the fucking worst. Yeah, is no it doubt. A vast wasteland. I mean. Yes, it is a vast yeah. wasteland, and we can reference the poem Wasteland, but this is the wasteland of all wastelands. Because every time I turn that shit on, because I now I did the YouTube TV thing, um, which now has all the news channels, um, mostly because I want to watch TCM. <laughs> so wow. I like, yeah, literally, I'm like, in, so, I'm like, like you 700 bought a 50-year-old year, convertible 50, 50 and then car, like yeah. got like TCM. Yeah. Just watch some David Niven movies. I love the fact that people think that like it's a midlife crisis. It's like, no, I'm just not poor anymore. It's not, like, it's not like it's not midlife. It's just you end to have a little bit. Of, you have a little bit of savings. I, I still want, bartered for it. I yeah. want to leave us on one note of caution because I know yeah. that there's a lot of people. I don't know. I feel like in our, in our universe, in 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 the broader universe, a lot of people like getting all gung ho about crypto. Yeah, like the the Staples oh Center was just renamed. Oh Crypto.com. And by the way, if you heard that news as I did and bought a bunch of the crypto.com coin and made a fucking ton of money on it today, you would be very happy. Because it, it, it fucking, right after that announcement, it fucking spiked. So yeah, he spent like it came back to earth, but, but. $70 million. Oh, well, but here's the cautionary tale uh, for all of Camille's tech bro friends mm-hmm. um, is that, it, or at least for Moynihan, because he, he's a fucking day trader. Um, is that I'm here to tell you that uh, crypto is going to be a bubble or is a bubble right now. <laughs> and here's my proof. No, no, this is, I got, I got proof. I got screenshot that face that Camille just made. I got proof. Here's, here's, well? a, here's okay. the proof. Okay. All right. Oh, God. Here I'm go. thinking about buying some. Oh, this is Bear when Stearns it all fucking collapses. Bear Stearns is fine. Uh, Bear, yeah, Stearns. Yeah. Bear Stearns is fine. Everything is okay. <laughs> This is not, there's nothing to see here. Matt Matt is the one who remembers that there was a stadium in in Houston named after Enron for a day. Remember (laughs) that? That's right. That's true. Enron Stadium, right? Yeah. Uh, This is not the same thing. Minute Maid? I think think it's uh, (laughs) crypto.org or something. (laughs) Emmanuel and I once went, uh, visited uh, a town on the border of California and Oregon, which is not usually a great place. Um, Jefferson, 
represent um, uh, that <laughs> renamed itself, sold the naming rights to the city. Yeah. To half.com. <laughs> oh, that's right. I remember half.com. We visited half.com yeah. in like 2001. Yeah. And I, I'm guessing that that's half.com. That's my crypto.com chart, by the way. Oh, I bought God. it at 37 cents. Fucking day trader. And it went up to, uh, what, uh, 69 today? So, come on. It's, it's literally the only price signal there is I just bought. We just took over a stadium. And I was like, that has never backfired before. Half.com. Uh, what was that? What was the sock puppet pet one? Pets.com. Just that was pets. That was just yeah. pets.com, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. Not, not to be confused with Petco field, but yeah. Yeah. And there's business.com that <laughs> got like a. That's so on the nose. Business. We just do business. But they sold that domain for like $8 million. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. 1999. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy. I mean, yeah, look, back in the day. I listen, no one, no one knows quite what's going to happen. Things are, things are wild. Just Except be careful out there, everybody. Be careful out there. Wow. Stay in school. Yeah. Um, Drinking milk. Uh, I do I do want to mention Bakari Sellers only because I saw this thing today and it looks like it happened back on the ninth, but he's supposed to be some sort of attorney, as I understand it. And he did a segment on CNN where he was talking about the Rittenhouse case and virtually every word out of his mouth was fucking falsehood. <laughs> and it's just extraordinary to me, just the degree of... On the heels of the revelations about the Steele dossier, the just the embarrassment of that and the total silence of some of the worst offenders who pushed that narrative. We have like the Rittenhouse circumstance and people doing precisely the same sort of insane gaslighting. And I'm not even sure if it's gaslighting at this point. I think they, they may actually believe these things to be true and just be vehemently incurious about what else might be going on or what developments have happened. I remember the first time we talked about the Rittenhouse case, we were broadly under the impression that he had crossed state lines with a firearm. And we said so when we were talking about this. It turns out that isn't true. And the the thought that these people are still doing television now, talking about this case and getting facts like this wrong mm. um, while the testimony is going on, just basic facts is... Very frustrating. Um, and but I don't know what surprising? we can do to punch through this and fix it. At the moment, well, it isn't maybe, surprising. But yeah. but it is but it is frustrating, especially because so many of these people, I mean, talk about, um, I saw the other day, like uh, someone setting up a fund to fight like media misinformation and launch, launching some campaign. I just imagine they won't be targeting CNN. And there's not a good reason why they shouldn't. <laughs> they should target them too. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, of course. I think and, the, and, the and one Fox way to on com- occasion yeah. and 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 MSNBC no, Fox every I'm day. Not, yeah, not I'm just not, on occasion. I'm every not, day. They're, right. They're pretty bad my on occasion is not is not to qualify Fox as like much better than CNN. My my no. qualification there is to say that CNN isn't universally bad. It's just uniformly the case that cable news like gets things wrong and systematic is a, a word that's become completely annoying. Um, systematic, predictable ways that it's always not just, track with their political valence, always think, with a small asterisk. I think the way to think about this, we used to have a, a kind of built-in disregard or, or discount for broadcast talking, right? Uh, AM talk radio was understood that it'd be frothy and mm. weird. Um, and then cable news is sort of the next step of that. But 
um, there was a time when they were not impervious to criticism, right? When, mm-hmm. like, if you went after not necessarily the Rush Limbaugh types, but people, um, liberal or conservative uh, talk radio station, you said they got this fact wrong, they would be chastened a little bit. They'd have to respond in some way. Mm-hmm. There's no evidence right now that the basic uh, kind of uh, state of comportment is having to respond to the many critics, uh, for example, who point out that the Steele dossier coverage, especially on MSNBC, but also by many contributors on CNN, and uh, I'm sure some anchors as well, um, was was crazy and wrong for a really long time and stated with authority um, and not corrected. Like there was there was an assumption of correction, which we no longer have, I think. And that um, is I, I think that is as much of anything like they're, they might. Are they more wrong than they were before? Probably it's hard to quantify, but are they less likely to even give a shit when you say, dude, what? Like if it's not about money and in that, and this is what this is all about. Um, in the most basic sense, I mean, you know, in, in the sense that Rachel Maddow signs a $30 million deal uh, with a show that shrinks from five days to uh, a week to one. If it's not about that, why not just go, you know, or ideological reasons, but I don't even think that those are the primary reasons. I think that the ideology is the kind of scaffolding that allows you to make a huge salary and get a lot of attention and become famous in cable news. There's not a lot of fame to be had of being a sort of reasonable person. I mean, this is not controversial, right? That if you're a middle of the road person that says, well, you know, they're wrong about this, they're right about this, you're not going to get a show. Nobody wants that. Try to find somebody who has a show like that. The closest you can get is somebody like Chris Wallace, but Chris Wallace is actually not even doing that. Chris Wallace is, is, is popular in a way because he's a, he's a pit bull of an interviewer, which he learned from his father, and he's very good at it. And I actually watch him and say that's a, that's a guy that is very, very good at his job. It's not because he's kind of squishy. He's not anything. He doesn't have a political position when he's interviewing most people. The squishiness gets you nowhere. I mean, if it's not money, then why does Rachel Maddow not just come out and say, okay, here's the episode. You want to get some attention? Here's the episode that I'm going to do today. It's what I got wrong about this mania that overwhelmed my brain, the station, the people that hated Donald Trump. And I think that we are people who could show you that there was another path to be to understate and say deeply skeptical of the um, problem of Donald Trump without going to the point of utter hysteria. Why not come out and just say, Okay, well, let's look at the, let's make a T-chart here of where we were right, where we were wrong, and like where we scored and where we misfired. And let's talk about why we misfired. That'd be a great television show. And I think that's something that I would want to do. She's heard, she's heard and has been aware of those critiques for two, three years now and has made the judgment as This is actually right, yes. As has likely the network that that their audience will not respond to that. Nicole Wallace, who used to work in Republican politics, um, she's responding to the incentives that the market are giving her. It's not like necessarily determinism, but it helps explain why she is where she is. Yeah, look, I don't, I mean, I, for longtime listeners, you can go out and get a, get a cup of coffee now because you've heard this a million times. 
but there is a very, very obvious thing here. You do not change all of your political views in a short period of time unless there's some cataclysmic events. And you can say, oh, it's Donald Trump. But no, that's not true, right? So if Nicole Wallace one day says, um, you know, I'm, I, I don't know if she believed this or not, but I'm just an example. I'm pro-life and the next day you're pro-choice. If one day you are like, we need to slash taxes to innovate, et cetera, and then you either say the opposite thing or say nothing in a conversation with somebody on MSNBC who's offering that view. And it would be very, very good for, for, for you and for television, for Americans watching this stuff, if you were to push back on them. They do not do that. It's the David Brock syndrome. David Brock could have realized that the American Spectator, where he worked, was going way too far on the Clintons. And they went way too far on the Clintons. And the Atlantic actually... The conservative writer Byron York has an incredible piece on the decline and fall of the American spectator and how they got completely consumed by Clinton hatred. There's a lot that you could apply to what happened in the past four years to that. There's not a lot of people that are like Byron York could actually step back and say, this is what, what, what went wrong. But, you know, that kind of moment, you could say, okay, they went way too far in Clinton and I'm going to walk on the other side. David Brock wrote a book about Hillary Clinton and he had a contract, I think with free press to write that book wrote, did the research and said, Hey, she's not that bad. What we've been reporting is bullshit, but it didn't stop. Sadly, there. he was wrong. Uh, well, yeah, she's well, that exactly. bad. <laughs> she killed yeah. him. Yeah. All of them. Uh, she killed. Uh, I have my reporting has uh, determined that she killed Vince Foster with her bare hands <laughs> Yeah. Uh, in the park, B- bare hands, just <laughs> murdered him. Um, that's a joke. People. It's okay. Don't file lawsuits. But that's where you stop, right? Why is it that David Brock, uh, you know, six months later, if he's not a, like, this is the word that we have to find a new one, is not a fucking grifter. Why does he start Media Matters and is like absolutely on the other side of every issue that he's ever espoused? Because he's a grifter. Exactly right. No, but because there's so a, many of these people. He's an institution builder on the opposite side. There you go. Get yeah. that brown stuff. It's yeah. really good. As if I need any more booze right um, now. Uh, <laughs> One I would I would like to point out and give um, the first and last high five to Brett Stevens, who's a columnist who's not my favorite columnist at the New York Times, but today he had a thing saying I was wrong about James Comey. James Comey sucks. Basically, oh he did. Oh, yes, um, that he was taken in by James Comey's role in um, yeah in uh, spreading the Steele dossier and, and other kind of RussiaGate stuff. And he was saying that that's wrong and it was actually abuse of power. And regardless of whether you agree with his assessment now or then, the instinct of like, hey, you know, self-cleansing. Yeah. You know, I said this in public and now I say this. Um, Why is that so hard? Why is that so hard? I mean, granted, we talk late at night. Sometimes we have some brown liquids. um, And sometimes we're talking when we don't know the full scope of a thing. Um, but it's totally fine to work yourself into like, oh, okay, maybe I was wrong in that uh, particular moment. Like, it's not that should be that's, that's, a, that's fucking just normal. default, right? I mean, I, I, the number of things I've been wrong about in the past is is you know pretty pretty enormous, I would say. Um, but you know, I'd like to kind of confess when people talked about uh, Freddie Dubois. Whatever that guy's name is. Like maybe like and somebody said, well, you know, I think you'd like him. Um, you know, maybe he's come around. 
And my first instinct was that, let's get him on. I'm sure I don't have any animus towards the guy. But he, he, he said, like, you know, Michael Moyan was mean to me. And then, I, and then I got really sad and I decided to, I don't know, like, you know. Write to, for the New York Times. Yeah, like, I'm going to write for big people to show him. I'm like, I don't, who am I? Why the fuck do you care about me? But the, the funny, well, which, by the way, is the hilarious thing is, like, this guy, Michael Moynihan. Because that's the thing oh, of, like, you don't. That's why you're mad. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't give a fuck. But it's like, if I'm this guy, why are you so concerned about it? But the funny thing about it is, like, you know, I, I, I by the way, also, <laughs> I look back and I'm like, I, I was the mean guy. I just like literally you were like the most hated person on the Internet for like six years mm. until you falsely accused somebody of rape and then you disappeared. And you apologize for that. But, you know, people can make mistakes. But that's the thing is, like, people can make mistakes ideologically. They can make them personally, et cetera. We are not really a forgiveness culture. And, you know, you see that with people who are plagiarists. There are people who do this. Somehow, some get through. I cannot figure out the algorithm of yeah. why some people survive and when some people don't. I mean, you sent me something about Johan Hari. Motherfucker. Who really just, I thought, blew up his career, but has, you know, just came out the other end in perfect shape in the U.S. I don't know about the U.K., but I just like it, it's totally fine to sit back and say, I got this totally wrong. And it was probably my priors that pushed me towards this. And I think if you look, listen to the first, you know, year of the fifth column, I don't know if I'd want to listen to it. Honestly, I just because I'd be like, mm, that's fucking stupid. You know, it's still funny. Yeah, that's all that matters. That's it's true. That's yeah. all that matters. No, there's mm-hmm. a lot of good stuff in there, actually. You should Camille's, go back and listen to that. Worse, though, hasn't it? That's not true. I mean, I've only gotten oh more exceptional. So Mike, a fine wine oh with the so aging. It's, uh, it's great. Um, <laughs> look, we should probably wrap this up because we've kidding? got. I was going to make yeah, Camille. Just we, started a while. we just started. No, it's yeah. been a while. But yeah. also next week, I'll be in New York. I think we've got some Whoa. things planned. Whoa. Um, yeah. when, are, are you going to be able to record in person in the studio on Wednesday night next week? Wednesday, I can. Yeah. Wednesday, okay. I can. It's the night before Thanksgiving. Yes, I can do that on yeah. on Wednesday. Okay, good, um, let's do it. But uh, Tuesday, I'll be in the middle of fucking nowhere. But with yeah. your recording rig, in case we can. I will yeah. be bringing something to cool. record and, with. Yeah. And Welch, Welch, you'll reach out to our our special guest. Okay, did, did he say yes? He's in. The, he did say yes. There's yeah, a lot email. of different special guests and a lot of different. Yeah. Well, he said he would for Wednesday. I think he's that. Tough. Yeah. Okay. Oh, That's no. all I want to say. Is he? It's good. Well, I just, one of my one of my favorite people. I like him a lot. Right. I'm gonna bring him very, very smart guy. Definitely not get him. The fired. one that disproves about ninety percent of what I was just saying. <laughs> 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 that they're not all bad. Uh, they're not all bad. No, they're not all not bad. All, a lot um. Well, you know what? You know who's not all bad? You, dear listener. You are good. You sat through this. You've listened to this, and by sat through, I mean enjoyed it and got more than your money's worth. <laughs> you whatever spent you're five paying, years telling people, like I can't believe you got not, through this. It's not enough. Yeah. Um, this is this has been uh, it's been our pleasure to do this for you on your behalf to bless you in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I think and if you want to find out what Camille is doing when he comes to New York and what we're doing, that'll be dropped in the Patreon before anyone. Yeah, else. yeah. Oh. You should you should you should visit the Patreon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm just saying. Good. <laughs> All right. Bye. We know Bye. Of new methods of attack. Trojan heart, the fifth